episode 13 of the Metro Fan TV Weekly Rundown, and we come to you live as the greatest team in MLS history. And that feels so, so good to say. Everyone who doubted us up until this point, I'd like to open the episode by saying you can suck my dick from the back. Let's have Fernando <laughs> here to break down everything that transpired in this absolutely glorious week. How you feeling, Fernando? I'm feeling like a champion. I feel absolutely fucking amazing. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 what else is there to fucking say? What, what a, it's impossible to not be happy this week after, uh, after claiming that fucking shield, um, despite all the fucking bullshit from all the haters and all the nonsense. It's, it's a great fucking feeling. I feel amazing. You know, it wouldn't be an episode uh, about trash talking the rest of the league if we didn't get one of the heavy hitters in this section on the episode <laughs> this week. Uh, none other. Alexander Sassaroli. How you doing, man? I'm awesome, dude. Feeling great. <laughs> I just want to say to quote Kevin Gates, thank you to our haters for making us invincible. <laughs> Was that a shout out to your <laughs> haters as well? Yes, of course. My, <laughs> mine and the team's. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, just reading uh, the initial feedback to the announcement that you're going to be the guest on here, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> pretty spicy. <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty spicy. I nice. Think, I, think so, I think someone unsubbed, but that's <laughs> Nice. That's it's like different. that risotto sauce. <laughs> Only some people can handle it. Actually, like, 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 like I'm going to open the episode by reading some of the uh, takes that were dropped <laughs> on the account uh jojo saying that we were really just letting anybody on here now which which is kind of <laughs> mean like do you, do you have anything really to say to that i mean they didn't ask you buddy <laughs> <laughs> you know my takes just come through they come through the sieve like gold you know <laughs> Also, apparently, uh, so, someone asking why they got blocked, but we don't really need to be that messy if we don't want to. Um, we can be messy about the shield instead. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm liberal with the block, so, you know, I just I just probably pressed it for some reason. He said something about energy during soccer or, you know, respecting how some other team played. You know, could be something like that. So it's nothing personal, basically. Nothing personal, man. Nothing personal. <laughs> I think I unblocked. I think I unblocked him too. But we'll see what his takes are after, uh, you know, the fourth or the eleventh. Uh, so I guess he's on probation right now. Everyone's on probation always. <laughs> so now I guess uh, moving. I guess we'll uh, look back on uh, happier times in that case. Uh, obviously, uh, this Sunday was a coronation. Right, like uh, probably one of the proudest moments in club history where we officially became the best team in MLS history. 71 points, 22 wins at home. 22 wins, I think, all season and a record as well for uh, wins at home, I think, with... Um, I can't remember off the top of my head right now because it's kind of a bit too early for that, but uh, record-setting season all around for this club and doing it in front of the former captain, Sasha Kleschen, right there. Uh, very, I mean, I guess in hindsight, it was a very competent 1-0 win over Orlando, but it didn't really feel like that when we were going through the game, right? I think everyone was kind of on the edge of their seats. I think uh, there was a sense of dread, I believe, when we uh, introduced Fidel with about 25 minutes to go because we thought we were going to five and back too early. But in the end, you know, uh, 
with a little bit of help from uh, our best friends up in Toronto, we uh, came away with Shield number three. And, you know, I honestly think that the way that this club has played this season, you know, it's just absolute just desserts. You know, I think we knew all season long that we were the best, if not one of the best teams in MLS. And we proved it. You know, we smashed that uh, points total record. We um, basically um, shat on the league's um, media darlings. And, you know, for some reason, like the league media still won't don't respect us. So shout out to Paul Tenorio for getting really, really mad online this afternoon over this. Um, I mean, all things considered, guys, uh, what a roller coaster it was, right? I think... Uh, with, with everything that transpired during that game, um, just an absolute roller coaster of emotions. Like, I, I was personally so tired that I passed out. Like, maybe um, <laughs> I passed out for like a solid three or four hours after the game because, like, I passed out in the stands for like a couple minutes. <laughs> and uh, I mean, that's I, I, kind of all I really have for that game. You know, I think. It just felt so good to be vindicated, right? It felt like just absolute validation for what we've been saying all year. And, you know, it's like you said at the top of the episode, like it's, it was basically like telling all the haters to, 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 to eat our ass. It's good. I don't know. What do you guys think? <laughs> yep. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it, I think it was like complete vindication of, of the entire process, the system, you know, that we play. Like, it's 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 not just having the academy, it's not just having, you know, the, the facilities or the, you know, the cash or whatever. It's, it's the way we play, and that allows, you know, allow, allows us a lot of flexibility um, in a way, because even though we're, we're really rigorous about, um, playing only one way, um, it, it it allows us to plug and play, allows us to rest players, it allows us to be, you know, we have some constants and we can be a little bit flexible in different situations. But um, yeah, it's just, it just feels so good, you know, when people are saying, oh, you know, Red Bull plays ugly soccer, Red Bull, you know, uh, you know, uh, can't survive this or that, uh, you know, it's not, it, it can't make it through any sort of these challenges, but you know, end of the day, look where we're at. Yeah. You know, and I thought it was a really good, um, microcosm of that was the fact that, you know, it was a, one of those, uh, polarizing homegrowns, right? I think they kind of fall into two categories. You have the, uh, solidly rated boys and Tyler Adams and Sean Davis, and you have the polarizing figures and say Derek Etienne and Alex Muehl. And, you know, it was a game of two halves for Derek. You know, I think that penalty missing that first half was pretty rough. Kind of looked like he was inside his head most of the uh, half after. Didn't really find his groove. But then for that two or three minute period where he, uh, right, right until he scored his goal, like it just kind of seemed to unlock that little um, Haitian messy gene inside of him, right? I mean, that was such a beautiful individual effort to kind of, seal the shield for us right like and it was such a testament like you say to the i think it was such a testament to what we've been trying to develop at this club that it ended up becoming one of the homegrowns a guy who grew up maybe about 20 minutes away from rebel arena doing exactly that 
to bring home a trophy. I mean, like that's just kind of like the stuff of dreams when it comes to uh, what we've been trying to develop at this club, right? Yeah, I mean, look, it, 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 it's funny because there's just so many storylines that are just kind of ignored and not really talked about by the general uh, uh, media that follows MLS. And it's definitely frustrating because, I mean, could you imagine if it was Gressel who, like, scored the game-winning uh, the game-winning goal for Atlanta to get them to shield? They're quote-unquote homegrown. Yeah, f- fucking forget about it. They would have been declared the greatest development team in the fucking league. But here we are, you know, we, we've we've done our shit this whole season while navigating multiple competitions, including one of the including the biggest one that any MLS team could possibly play in North America, Champions League. Um, and for us to for us to seal the deal from a goal from not even someone as high as, as Tyler Adams, but like you said, kind of a polarizing, you know, just good internal player like Derek Etienne, it's just Okay, now people kind of just the general media kind of just shrugs their shoulders, just like they kind of just shrugged their shoulders at us winning because they they everyone just kind of in their in their minds in their minds knew that Atlanta was going to win. I'm sure there were so many articles that had been <laughs> deleted the moment they fucking lost. I'm just I'm just thinking of people just dumping articles into the recycling bin on their desktops, Dude, and I I'm mean, just laughing. Terabytes, terabytes <laughs> I mean, of storage. Just oh, wasted. Was Did you see Weeby's face at the at the final whistle, where he looks so disappointed that he had to interview Bradley uh-huh. Bradley Wright Phillips about being a champion? Oh yeah, and and I just want to circle back real quick too. Like, and maybe I'm getting a little too deep into it, but it's been kind of a really annoying thing all season, where when certain people in the MLS media circles talks about about uh, youth development, it's always centered around the quote-unquote American players, but not just American players, specifically American players playing or who could potentially play for the U.S. men's national team. Right. Even though fucking Derek Etienne was born and raised in fucking Patterson, New Jersey, and is as American as Gressel and any of those other you know, fucking people in, 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 uh, in the U.S. national team pool, I feel like that's even just another kind of like slight against what's being done here because, again, if it was Gressel, forget about it, but because it's Etienne, Specifically, he's a Haitian national team player, not a U.S. men's national team player. It's just like another kind of reason for them to kind of just shrug their shoulders, right? You know, because in their minds, youth development only counts and only matters if it's for a U.S. Uh, you know, an American national team player, and that's that. That yeah. shit just fucking irks me. I mean, that's what's going to come up next year. You know, when Casares uh, comes through or. And Dom, you know, breaks through the first team. It's going to be the same thing. Even though, you know, we developed those guys, it's going to be the same kind of lack of a real narrative like that. But, you know, to go back to the goal, I think another thing that's missed in how, uh, you know, how monumental this was and kind of a triumph of our system was if you I think I think maybe someone on this podcast produced the side by side gif of. Derek scoring the exact same goal in the USL final right. two years ago. Yeah, I mean, yep. it's the goal that won us the shield is the exact same goal that Derek scored, you know, to win us the USL championship. And, and that's really what it's all about. You know, it's about how these guys, the system means that all these players know exactly what their role is. So you can bring, bring guys through like, you know, Brian White had a great interview after uh, the Houston game, or maybe it was after the Atlanta game. 
where he said, you know, that it, it's not it's not a challenge for him in the same way. It's a challenge to get up to speed, sure, with MLS, but you know, his role is defined. He knows what he has to do. He's been doing it for for a year since he got drafted by the team, and when he was playing in PDL, his role was the same. But you know, it, it, their roles are set out so that when you bring a young player through, they know what they have to do, and uh, you know, there's no there's no relying on you know just individual brilliance of some pro, like special player. Yeah. You know, players are given roles, they're given tasks. You know, the you know I think American soccer analysis broke it down. You know, our offense is pretty set. You know, we have specific rotations. The players do it, and you know that's how the clock ticks. So it, it's really it's it's not just about having an academy. You see, like RSL or Dallas have academies, and you know they're they're producing good players. They get lost to to teams like Bayern and or you know wherever these guys are going or LA for that matter. But you know they're just relying on just finding some some uh you know special special kids to try and force into a lineup that doesn't necessarily have a place for them whereas you know we we can find guys who just spit you know fit specific roles have specific traits we can build them up we can play to those you know traits that they have that fit the role and that's how guys can come through the lineup like we push them through that's how we can have this churn going on every year yeah, look, and and when you have forty five almost or you know it's between forty five and fifty thousand kids in your youth program, you can be picky. You can <laughs> even if a kid even right. if a kid might have some talent, fine. But you know if they're not someone that they feel they can groom into how we want to play, it it's fine. It doesn't mean they're bad. They just from from that young age, you're able to kind of sift through the kind of players you want and only bring up who you feel works. Yeah, or her you know, fits a yeah. specific role. Yeah, and look at this point, City. You know they're they're basically just bragging about you know picking up our fucking you know our our uh, our leftovers, you know because they don't really have any kind of defined system in 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 terms of how they play. So they're just trying to kind of find anyone who fits. Right. I think it was uh, Tom on Twitter who uh, brought up that really good tweet about the fact that every level of our organization since I think 2009 has won something at the youth development level, right? I think it was from the under 15s all the way up to the uh, under 23 slash um, reserve team, you know? And I think it's notable because a lot of those guys who started in like that U15 team and say 2009, 2010, I mean, some of those guys could have very well ended up becoming some of the first team regulars that we know now. I mean, we pointed out the uh, 2014 uh, under-23 team that won the uh, PDL championship at Art Red Bull Arena. Captain that day was Sean Davis. You know, it's that sort of... Uh, there's been a track record of success um, up and down this organization since we started this initiative. And I think it's notable now because, you know, like most of these kids coming up have only known success. They've only known what it's like to win and they've only and they know what it takes to go out and win a championship at the professional level because of it you know i mean like we're not only are we developing um kids that can plug and play into the system at the first team level we're also developing kids who have a winning culture surrounding them and i think that's just such a big part of their development that i think has kind of become more of the uh, edge for us, you know, as these kids reach maturation. 
they understand and they know what it's like to win. They know how to deal with the expectations of winning. And they place, and most importantly, they place the expectation of winning on themselves. You know, especially for a club that loves to harp on and on and on about how we only lose in big games. These guys don't. And that's why I'm quietly confident going to the playoffs with these guys as a core. Because these guys have, I can't stress this enough, all these guys do is win, win, and win. And that's fucking awesome. Yeah. At every level they've been. And, I, you know, like, it's prepared them for this role with the senior team where they're presumably just going to bring us even more success. And I think that's one part of the player development thing that I think kind of gets a bit under... Um, yeah, that doesn't get talked about as much, but it's also definitely one of those uh, points that kind of enunciates like just exactly what is different about our youth development system to say other teams in the league. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, yeah. look at what happened in the Cincinnati game. You know, with us with the USL team. You know, throughout the season, they were just kind of experimenting. They were kind of, you know, seeing that changing up the back line. You know, changing out some players like sitting Tenari, sitting, you know. Moreno getting hurt, just kind of Wally just getting the guys ready and then come out against, you know, a team that's coming into MLS that already has a bunch of MLS players on it. Hilariously, somehow USL allows that, but they go out there and they put them firmly in their pocket, you know, Endom had Adi in his pocket. These guys know how to win when it matters. And, you know, yeah, exactly. That's going to translate when they get up to the first team and uh yeah i mean it's it the metro the, the the metro thing doesn't really work under this model anymore the way that we play now you know you're not bringing in guys you know in their 30s or their late 20s and just saying you're gonna get us this championship we have guys who already know how to win championships throughout the ranks you know from the top of the team to the bottom these guys already have yeah. won championships for us you know for our for Red Bull, you know, yeah. they've lifted trophies for Red Bull already. So, you know, when it comes to the first team, you know, they know how to do it and they know what it means. Yeah, I mean, if you look, I mean, even just the last game, you know, look, Orlando's not a good team. But as both Toronto and and and, uh, and, and Orlando showed, you know, even if you're a bad team, sometimes just pride is something that's worth fighting for. And, and sometimes that's enough to kind of elevate your game. Um you know, Toronto obviously had something huge in the line. They had the record on the line. And also, you know, you, you don't, you want to fight to make sure that the, the, the team that, that if they beat you, not only they beat your record, but they're going to hoist your fucking previous, you know, uh, the, the shield that's in your possession in front of your home, your home fans, they're playing for pride for Orlando as tough as a shitty season as, as, as they had, look, they played pretty well because they're playing for their pride. They, they want to go out fighting. They want to be a spoiler. And it's for me, it was interesting because I think the best players in that game were our young guys, you know, absolutely. And I yeah. think that's just a testament to look, even though, again, even though, even though it was a bad team, it was a big moment, regardless of the quality team, it was a big game and it was a big moment. And the kids who stepped in the most and the best for the most part were guys who were part of that 2016 season at Adams Davis. I mean, these guys really, really really stepped it up yeah i think it's kind of hard to dispute that i think uh, i was gonna talk about the uh, contributions of some of the other homegrowns actually as the uh, 
next sort of SIG. I mean, uh, Etienne obviously grabbing the headlines, but, you know, such an accomplished performance again, you know, from Alex Muehl late in the season. The late season breakout seems to have continued. And I really, really want him starting out there in the right wing in the playoffs because of that. You know, I mean, you saw the amount of turnovers he was generating deep in uh, the Orlando half, that really nice, sweet through ball that he played first time to Bradley Wright Phillips that could have been a goal as well. Um, and then you have to also just give a shout out to uh, the uh, midfield axis of uh, Adams and Davis, which has just been an absolutely shut down pair like this whole season for the most part. I mean, our kids were fucking everywhere this game, you know, like uh, came out like to ch- I think it was sort of like they were coming out with this um, mindset that not only did they want to win to bring home the shield, it was also sort of like in a way it was a mindset to win to vindicate and validate like every single t- ill thing that this team has been trying to do for Dude. the last three or four years. And, you know, I, I want them to keep that going forward because if that's what drives them and that's what, you know, what, what it takes for us to finally get it done in the playoffs this year, you know, I'm all for it. I think it's like we said, you know, it's like uh, the, the old ways that you saw under, you know, the Metro stars and the early Red Bull days, right? Like the days of just going out and getting washed up Europeans or shitty, 20-something-year-old journeyman, those days are over. You know, like we're going to be growing stars from within now. And this is how it's going to be going forward. It's going to be guys that we have developed internally who will be bringing us there. And not like these fucking randos that guys like Eric Soler yeah. or whatever would be bringing in, right? Like, shout out to that. Shout out to Eric Soler. Uh, we're glad that those days are over. Like, like I just want to bury um, the lead on this idea that we need some big name to bring us there. We can develop those big names ourselves well, nowadays, dude. Like it was, man. it was so awesome seeing Adams, Davis, Long, uh, Miera, and a couple other guys going on Instagram, sending messages to the current USL team as champions, speaking to the next group of guys looking for their championship. And yeah, to me, that just again, that just just speaks volumes to what we have on a first team as the core, like you guys have said, they're only winners. The core of this team only knows how to win. These are, these are young guys, you know, Tyler Adams is what, 19 years old and a bunch of other guys in their, you know, really early twenties talking to a bunch of late teenagers, kind of pushing them for their championship. Like that, that's to have guys who, who can, who the day before their big game can reach out to their reserve side, their development side, and 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 speak from a, a position of success to to kind of bring up and lift that group. It's fucking amazing. What what other team in this league can do that? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, uh, I mean, just just this whole idea, basically, that um, that. I don't know, like, uh, I don't know how else to say it. It's just top down organizationally, this culture of success. You know, I mean, you can't, you can't deny it at professional level. I mean, sure. Like winning isn't everything in development sometimes, but sometimes you can win and develop kids. Well, you know, I mean, teaching them the kind of things that they'll need to succeed at professional level. And you see it uh, when you watch footage of under 14s, like putting 10 goals in some, unfortunate rec team side right like it's 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 just so incredible to watch and it's this idea that by the time 
some of those kids from the uh, youth teams make it to senior level. They've been playing in this system, I think, for seven to eight years of their early professional career. And, you know, you can't replicate that anywhere else. You can't replicate that same seven or eight years of development if you're not having them play this fully integrated way of playing from an early age. You know, like you don't, you can't make up those seven or eight years of development elsewhere. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the thing for me is that like, I only feel that the kids that we bring up now to the academy as a result of that are only going to get better and better and better for our system as they reach maturation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think, so I think sad. also the thing is that the, because we have a secured pipeline, you know, like that, that we can also be really selective about what we're looking for in the market. You know, we're not yeah. just going to buy a guy who's going to be a, you know, a difference maker. You know, we're not going to look at just someone yeah. who's just like, you know what, this person is, is a, is a good player and we're just going to pick them up and we're just going to hope for the best. And, uh, you know, we're going to see what happens. And it doesn't work like that anymore. When we picked up Kaku, you know, we were looking specifically at what he could do on the field for us in the way that we play. You know, we knew what his role was going to be. We took time to basically figure out who exactly we could get for the price that we wanted. I mean, it was a huge price. We paid a lot of money for him, but he did exactly what we wanted to do. You know, he could play He could play those first-time balls. And, and, and his... And his stats in Argentina like bore that out, you know, like when he before he came here, the way he played, the way you know his chance creation was exactly the kind of chance creation that we wanted in our playmaker. So you know we can we can yeah. it allows us to be a little more selective. It's not just like how Orlando built their team, where it's just like we're gonna get the best quote unquote left back. We're gonna get the best quote unquote number ten. We're gonna get the best this. We're gonna get the best that, and just kind of populating a fantasy team. Or a you know a Red Bull discussion group team of just who's the top guys <laughs> in whatever position you know in a sort of end of the year fan service best eleven it wasn't like that that's not how we're gonna build this team ever again we're gonna yeah, look and, and, for specific and, traits and we're gonna because they fit the the roles that we have in our team and that's it ah oh, fucking hell these assholes just scored uh, just three nothing. Uh, uh, we, I don't care about that game. Uh, that game is nothing to, to me. <laughs> yeah, I want to talk about uh, this um, idea of talent identification. Actually, it's quite interesting that you bring up Kaku specifically because um, you know it, it's true that uh, to complement the internal development of our players, that we are have gotten pretty good at choosing guys that you know um, fit the context of how we want to play. And particularly, like, uh, Kaku was a huge testament to that. Because, uh, you know, I think uh, if you look at the highlight reels, like, say it's of someone, um, the other so-called, quote-unquote, big signing from South America that happened this season, right? Uh, Lil Boat, the, the girl stealer. Um, <laughs> Mr. Steal Your like, Girl? Fucking yeah, Mr. Steal Your Girl. <laughs> um you compare Kaku and Lil Boat, and you know, I mean, like, you could see why, you know, that Barco would uh, command a $60 million valuation because he does all the flashy things while he has, like, that really nice low center of balance that makes him really, really good at dribbling on the ball. But when you talk about um, there's a, there being a difference between this guy is a good player 
And this guy is a good player for our system. Like I think Kaku exemplifies that, you know, because, you know, I think on top of uh, our tal- our, of our scouting team, you know, like having a, a criteria of what they're looking for, for guys that play in a certain role, they're using certain levels of analytics to kind of complement that. And I thought it was very notable that Kaku's chances created per 90 numbers were so much higher than Barker's and that transferred over to MLS well. You know, I think it's this approach, you know, where we combine, I think, analytical data to try to uh, verify um, the eye test, so to say, right? To kind of substantiate that what we're seeing is grounded. You know, it's such a big difference in the way that we acquire talent as well. And, you know, I think, you know, we talked about how 2019 is going to be a very pivotal offseason for us because we might be seeing a lot of uh, our defensive core leaving. It's, It's just a simple reality of life. I'm excited to see who they'll be bringing in because I'm sure um, they already have two or three guys in mind that we'll be pursuing this winter. And that's one thing that we also kind of need to talk about on the. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think even more with Kaku, like the, the way he approached what this team demands of its number 10 and of its forwards and attacking midfielders just exemplifies that, you know, this team knows exactly what it wants and it it'll find the guys that are willing to mold mold themselves basically to the system you know this team demands like very odd things from a lot of its players um that are not necessarily you know glamorous or not necessarily what players and positions that you know guys like haku get get trained to do but you know they find guys who are willing to put in that work and willing to, uh, you know, basically work for the work for this team. You know, the way that Kaku pressed even on Sunday was just exemplary, you know, like he wasn't in the past few weeks, he hasn't been getting those direct assists like he's been doing before. But, you know, for us pressing is, you know, how we make, how we play make a lot of the time. And he's been doing that, you know, as well as, a lot of those, a lot of the players like Wheel or, or uh, you know Adams and Davis, um, that you know we always praise them for that. So I think it's also a testament of finding guys who are willing to to basically uh, allow themselves to be molded to how we need them to play. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I I think it's, I think anyone who who actually pays attention to this team knows that there's definitely a lot of things. Um, there there there's definitely some things that will never show on a stat sheet, right? Even advanced stats, it's sometimes it's kind of hard to to uh, to really kind of calculate the play or, or, or certain things in, in, the, in terms of how this team plays. And despite that, we can see how good a player is and how much they still fit, right? So what makes Gaku so so awesome, and, 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 and especially in the context of... of how this team plays and how good they were at identifying this. He hasn't had even an, a secondary MLS assist since the LAFC game. No, no, sorry. Since the Columbus game, which he was subbed in on in June 28th. That's crazy. Now, <laughs> now, now anyone now he's granted, he scored three goals since then, but right. he's, he's not supposed to be our goal scorer. He's supposed to be our, 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 uh, you know, our main, 
you know, source creator. of chance creation, right? Yeah. Now, anyone that actually knows how this team plays would never say that he's been garbage or he has been productive since the end of June because of how this team plays. There's so much more than just setting up that direct assist or even that secondary assist. There's Shout so much Shep. more. What? Shout out to Shep. Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> oh, exactly. God. Like that's that that's that's that kind of mentality where like they just they just don't understand. They, they people just don't understand how this team plays. And if all you're doing is just looking at a stats line, then yeah, you're going to say something like, "Oh, you know, maybe he's struggling." No. He played Orlando was a perfect example. Like he played so well against Orlando. He was probably our best non-internally developed player of that game, I think. Right. He had a goal. He didn't get an assist. He had three shots, but he not, nothing tangible came on 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 the you know the two primary things you're going to judge an attacking player on, and it doesn't matter because of what else he produces. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah. I mean, it's that notion of uh, being productive in spite of the perceived lack of production. Mm-hmm. And you know, he could have very well bagged an assist as well this game. You know, with that uh, oh, he had multiple chances through ball that yeah. yeah, I mean, he had that through ball that he played into Brad that unfortunately uh, the finish was kind of lacking because it was a bit of an off day for Brad under down low. But um, you know, it's I mean, there's a reason why he was the uh, main playmaker, the so quote unquote main playmaker on a team that ended up smashing that points total, right? On a shield winning team that ended up becoming enshrined as the best team in MLS history in terms of points accumulated in the regular season. You know, it's, 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 we don't get there, I think with Sasha question, you know, and, and say what yeah. you will about him. I, I, I understand the dichotomy that goes on with him. I thought that he had his moments in our uniform and he was a good servant while he was here. But look, I mean, losing Sasha to bag Kaku was probably one of the best things to ever happen to this club. And just in, in just the variety of ways that he can hurt you. And in a way, I think, you know, I mean, kind of sucks for Sasha, but, you know, seeing our guys um, clinch the shield in front of him as the best team in MLS history kind of was uh, poetic in a way. You know, I think in regards to that, you know, it's it just kind of showed that we could have been so much better as a club in 2017, but maybe as someone else is our main playmaker and you know it, that was the other thing that was vindicated on Sunday you know it was proof that you know this uh the question trade wasn't quite as bad as people made it out to be we definitely came away winners in my opinion because it it opened up that spot for us to bring in Kaku who yeah can just hurt people in so many different ways yeah I mean I think I think even the way you constructed that I wouldn't even agree with I don't even think it was that they were you know, trading it, that the trade was essentially Sasha for Kaku. I think they were just looking to get rid of Sasha. Yeah. Like period. <laughs> yeah. And the trade itself, I think they would have taken nothing if they could for Sasha, but you know, they had to, well, they well, basically had to take some, take well, some cash off of, uh, or take some salary off of Orlando's hands. Yeah. Remember they were, you know, they openly said that they were like, they met with Gaku in like October or something like yeah. October, November. I mean, they, yeah. they've been actively scouting for a new guy in that position since, you know, the latter parts of last season. So, you know, it, it was kind of both, I guess it was both like, you just got to get rid of Sasha because we're going to replace you. Gaku ended up being that person. But I think the premise was clearly he doesn't fit anymore. We need to get rid of him. 
Yeah, I think. And 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 I think it, it, if if you really really want to think about it, Sasha is the perfect example of of the of the idea that a player can be good or bad on paper, but still not but still not be good for this team. Right, he had a decent year statistically. He had what I think sixteen assists last year. Yeah, I think he still led the league in assists. Yeah, I yeah, mean, he, 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 te- he technically had more assists than Gaku did this year. Yeah, if yeah. you want to be technical, but there is nobody, nobody who is anything that resembles intelligent that would say that Sasha would had a better year with us last year than this year. It's I I would backhand the person if they said that. <laughs> like, I mean, no. yeah. Basically, and, the team the team that you would form if you kind of looked at stat lines, or if you looked at kind of, you know, oh, we need to get the objectively best person at each position in this way, would be the team that we beat to win the shield on Sunday. Like that was the how was how the Orlando team was built. You know, they had Miram, they had Dwyer, they had Sasha, they had uh, Uri Roussel. You know, they had all these guys who, if you were thinking like, hmm. Who in the past like five years was the best person at this position in a standard, you know, four two three one? You would pick these guys, mm-hmm. and that was how they built their team. And look at what happened. Yeah, yeah. but that, that's know? that that's how Orlando basically built their team. Yeah, they, exactly. That's what I'm saying. The team, <laughs> the team that we beat on Sunday was that team. Yeah, exactly. Th- their idea was who are the best players that we can get in the market for whatever you know, given whatever MLS funny money we have. For the like for the FIFA nineteen uh, standard standard uh, uh, formation, basically Red Bull discussion yeah, and... group FC, basically, yeah. <laughs> Red Bull RBDG FC <laughs> is Orlando. Yeah, and and they and they were fucking awful. Like they were just absolutely horrendous. They're just fundamentally not a good team because you. That's not how you build. It's not how you build a team, <clears throat> you know. But 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 again, I, I think that's. I think he look. He would again. He was good for us. He had good numbers, but given how this team plays, it requires something different. It requires a certain type of player with a certain type of skill set, with a certain type of mentality, a certain type of of you know soccer intelligence. It requires very unique people. You you can't just throw in anybody. And and I know some people. You know, I've had some people try to push back and saying, oh, well, you know, that's kind of like it's being kind of bougie. Like, of course, every team wants to do that. Well, yeah, uh, exactly. Every great team fucking does that. Every great team, no matter what league you're in, is going to pick players based on who they feel fits into how they want to play for the most part. You know, how many teams out there have a shitload of money that could that could that could have signed fucking, I don't know, Ronaldo or some shit like that when all that shit was going down or dropped the money for Neymar. A bunch of clubs could have. Let's be honest. A whole bunch of clubs could have done it, but they didn't. Why? Because it just makes sense for them. Yeah. Now, that's obviously a more expensive extreme case, but relative to us, that's what you want to do. That is how you build a proper team. You you pick and you you create a system that you want to play, a style, a way you want to play, and then you get guys or you develop guys who can fit that. You don't just go out <clears throat> and just grab fucking anyone and then say, oh, okay, well, let's see how I can make this work. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. You know, I think to kind of uh, illustrate this point a little bit, 
Uh, even if you had the uh, embarrassment of uh, resources that some of those big European clubs have, uh, you know, I thought it was I always thought it was the case where they were winning in spite of the fact that none of the guys in that team knew how to play with each other, as opposed to just simply because of like you know the the, the talent level on that team just kind of on those teams just kind of reached critical mass at some point, and they coalesce into something that just manages. Or they, they supernovaed into something. Yeah, just kind of supernovaed into something that just ended up uh, <laughs> stumbling ass backwards into uh, winning three Champions League titles back to back. You know, it's uh, it's one of those things, you know. Uh, totally not a Zinedine Zidane subtweet, uh, but... <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I think, I think the thing is that you look at, like, Sasha did have a, a really nice through ball to... Uh, to Dwyer, I think, at one point when they were attacking the South Ward end. And, uh, you know, that that was kind of like what he's, you know, good at. Like, kind of delaying on the ball, waiting for the run to be made, and kind of putting a through ball in that kind of went through about three or four of our defenders just yeah. once. But, you know, the thing is, we don't really, uh, we don't really play in a way that we value that kind of chance creation anymore. You know, we're not about that kind of chance creation anymore. We're about, you know, playing faster, playing, you know, one touch, playing, uh, you know. Um, we basically play just effective attacking side. We're not looking for anything particularly, you know. We're not trying to, to create, you know, the picture-perfect version of a, of a through ball anymore. And I, I don't think Sasha just plays that way. But you look at the way Kaku plays that role, you know, he's looking to just put people in, you know, time after time. There's nothing. It's just affected. Yeah. You know, the, I think the team just in, in all ways, you know, is just looking for effectiveness. I mean, if you're looking at even of how they manage the roster, you know, the homegrown players are just a more effective way to manage a roster. You know, they don't take the cap hit the same way. You know, the, it's just it's just the most it's just the smartest way to do things basically. And I think that's what even coming down to the tactics is all about. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's been a lot, there's been a couple of quotes recently between, uh, between Jesse and, and, uh, and Ralph that really, I think kind of highlight that, you know, the idea that uh, the way the core belief of this team really isn't centered around that, that traditional, you know, quote unquote, beautiful game bullshit where it's, you know, you're stringing along it's like that video that that was posted uh, uh, that I saw on Twitter today, where it's like just like thirty-two pass sequence that led to a goal. It's like okay, like fucking twenty-eight of them were just random stupid back passes and side passes. Yeah. Well, like, we could we could have created like three goals. Yeah. yeah like, but like, here's the thing. Okay, but, but here's the thing. How many times? How many times have we have we seen twenty? You know, the twenty-third, twenty-fourth pass. All of a sudden, you get pressed, you lose possession, you get countered, you fucking and 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 you give up goal. What's beautiful then? Is is that little stupid passing sequence fucking beautiful? Are you still touching your fucking dick because you're passing <laughs> fucking backwards and sideways, sideways for fucking two minutes even though you gave up a goal? No, shut the fuck up. It's stupid. I mean, yeah, you don't win points for style. You win points when you, when you score, fucking score goals. goals or you – more likely for us because I think, I think the stats even bear this. The advanced statistics even bear this out that the pressing is actually probably the most effective defensive yeah. tactic that we have. Yeah, you know, like we prevent goals from happening, and that's how you win. Because you could score goals and still lose, but if you prevent the other team from scoring, you're always going to win, or at least get a point. So, 
Yeah, but like you know, I think that's how you look at things. That's how we look at things. That's how I like. I like going to Red Bull Arena and us winning. Yeah. Like that's what I like. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm not looking for. <laughs> I'm not looking for you know some piece of art. <laughs> I remember. Early, I remember during the preseason. Uh, it was one of the first videos uh, of the year, actually. Um, where Jesse was kind of huddled up, and it was kind of like, you know, it had to been the, it may have been the first one, but he was kind of addressing everyone, and he basically, you know, kind of paraphrasing, but he essentially said, like, you know, if don't expect any kind of, you know, tiki taka, beautiful game stuff. He's like, that's not what we do here. We're 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 high press, we're high intensity, we run a lot, we press a lot, and that's how we're going to score, and that's how we're going to um, win. We're not looking to 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 make things beautiful. And it's funny because when, when, um, when what's his name was was uh, sent away uh, with Leipzig, one of the big complaints was they felt that he kind of slowed things down and was playing too traditional. And then uh, he kind of went on this, you know, on his rant saying, um, uh, kind of ragging along the whole possession stuff. He's like, again, yeah, kind of paraphrasing, but he's essentially said, you know, the passing is stupid. What's the point of passing yeah. for two minutes if if you end up getting the ball turned over? Anyway, but like, what's the point of that? He's like, we could have scored, you know, I think almost exactly like what Len said. He basically said something along the lines of, you know, in, in the amount of times that someone can pass, you know, 20, 25 times and get the ball taken away, we could have created two or three chances. Yeah, you know, and I think it's interesting that you talk about, you know, we the the, the uh, graphs that we've seen like plastered all over the internet, you know, it sh- they show completely that we just completely forego this idea of traditional buildup. Right, which is why like uh, all of our chances seem to have come from all over the field in all these different in scenarios. Because the only thing that we're really concerned with as a team is how to move the ball up and move the ball down the field as quickly as possible. And that as a result of that, it completely foregoes all these notions of traditional buildup, where you might be establishing possession and then starting your attack. Nah, I mean fuck that. We forego that completely forego possession completely just get the ball down to field as quickly as possible as soon as it, as uh we win it back in transition you know uh and i think that's why you know sometimes some of these uh analytics don't really aren't really calibrated to measure you know our team specifically but um you could kind of see uh, how this kind of bears fruits by the fact that we may not necessarily take as many shots as other teams in the league do, but our XG totals, our accumulated XG totals are much higher because these transition opportunities lead to just higher quality chances in on goal. You know, I think completely foregoing build up, completely foregoing possession, you know, that's probably the way forward for soccer. I think going forward, because it's like you guys say, I mean, there's no point in killing two or three minutes off the clock like fucking Spain did against Russia in the World Cup. If it means that you're going to end up being, if you're, if it means that you're, you're going to end up being unable to break down a set defense and end up conceding a goal, maybe as soon as you lose possession, it's, it's stuff like that. You know, we're completely redefining the way we talk about attack in soccer. And I think that's just so, that's key to understand. If you love possession and you love sideways passing and all that stuff, like, fuck out of here. Like, it's what Jesse says, and it's the only time that I will um, quote Jesse, because uh, we have a bit of a checkered past. Um, I, I think it was actually, I'm trying to remember which, if it was the, 
Open Cup game or the league game when we beat NYCFC at home when he when he had his rants basically about how we don't care about possession. Yeah. I think it I think it might have been the Open Cup game if I remember right, but he basically went on a on a on a rant basically about how how we play and what we value and uh you know it was essentially that it was you know we value winning and creating chances and locking down the other basically demoralizing the other team which is you know amazing to me (laughs) yeah uh i think that kind of puts a bow on it doesn't it i mean uh you know it's it kind of paraphrases everything we've been saying on this uh awful podcast this whole season uh fuck possession and (laughs) um absolutely i think uh i guess we could shift gears to uh potential playoff opponents i think because i think at this point in time with the city being up 3-1 at the time of uh discussion it's over it's over yeah what a what garbage (sighs) Philadelphia. I can't believe I can't believe I I I am forced to watch games at that place. Yeah, that that stadium is an embarrassment. I know it's been said a lot, but it really is. I wish it was a a, a harsher word than embarrassment. I mean, it probably I, I just I get triggered when I fucking think about that place. It's, it's a fucking shit stain. Pathetic. Just that's what I call like, it. It's a that, shit stain. That, that that first fucking goal was like. Just what would be just a regular fucking kind of mid distance pass turned into a pass like right right at the box and then just some fluke fucking goal. It's it's ridiculous. Like, oh my god. Yeah, I mean I was just watch I was watching the game while we were talking, of course. And uh I was trying not to pay attention too much so I could offer my, you know, unadulterated takes. <laughs> but I, I I looked up and I saw Sean Johnson just like basically uh, off a off a maybe it was a goal kick. Just basically boot the ball after one or two bounces. It was already in Philly's box, like almost at the penalty yeah. spot. Uh, it's just crazy. So, like, I mean, I guess the implication of this is that we don't need to go to that fucking postage stamp to play our first uh, playoff series because uh, it narrows down our opponent to TC uh, or Columbus, and uh, I think maybe these are two teams that. Uh, May make us a bit nervous, I think, right? Um, Craig Burhalter kind of uh, has the uh, magic formula to know how to beat us, which, ahem, is switching the field often and early, by the way. Um, meanwhile, DC, you know, coming into uh, the playoffs is one of the hottest teams in the league. Uh, with a bit of a caveat, though, I think has been uh, brought up by some people, by various people online. Um most of those games were played at home, right? Haven't really had... I'd say a vast majority yeah. of games. <laughs> and any time that you don't really have to go away from home too much in MLS, it's kind of a blessing, you know, because, you know, uh, it's easier to prepare for. You don't, you're don't. you not really worn out by the awful travel rules that this league puts in place. And... Um, Okay, I mean, I guess you kind of do have to take their away record of a grain of salt because it being bad was a result of them not having the talent that they currently do and um, also having to play basically away game after away game in that front half of the season. But the point still stands, I think, that they're maybe not quite as good away from home 
as they are at Audi Field. And uh, so, fourteen. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but just want to bring it out to your point about the the um, home and away. Dude, fourteen of the last seventeen games were home. Right. And it seems to me that they weren't quite playing anything that we'd really consider too formidable. I mean, there were some really good teams in there, but the only um, resounding victories that I can remember off the top of my head were Atlanta. And um, I don't know, actually. Uh, like, I, I can't really remember DC stretch run that well, but um, I think in a way uh, Columbus have kind of fallen off in recent weeks, but um, just the fact that, you know, Greg Berhalter just displays this uncanny like ability to just do the hoodoo on us every time we play that team. You know, it's uh, I mean, like Fernando obviously is a bit more confident about the prospect of facing Columbus than I might be. Uh, I still think that chips into table. We can pull it out against the crew when it matters most, but you know, it's you're just being very TSM right now. <laughs> Lens. <laughs> no, but no, but like, um, like what I was gonna say is, I think if we come coming down to play Columbus, it's gonna be a factor of us being able to break down that defense, you know, because that is sort of the uh, principle that that team is built on. You know, they don't really offer that much um, going forward, or at least they're not as potent in attack as they are in defense. Because, I mean, look, they qualified for the playoffs of a negative goal differential for a reason, right? And for the most part, like, their main goal scorer is only really a threat if you manage to find him in the box. Which he was kind of doing when we went to visit them at Matt Free. Um, but, you know, I think, I think it's a bit different under Chris Armis. You know, I think... Uh, you do have the ability now, I think, to go in and win ugly games by just kicking up a bit of a shitstorm and making things kind of hard for people. Um, I think, you know, I mean, I'd say that these are kind of two maybe not the easiest outs that we could possibly have, but these are tests that I still think that we should be able to get by. I think, uh, I don't know, like some thoughts in DC and Columbus from you guys, like, Anything in particular stand out? Um, I mean, I've I've touched upon you know a, a lot of reasons, but I'll give you one that I I don't think I've mentioned before. And while yes, you know they've shown that that they can be they can give us trouble. They scored forty three goals this season. They scored the third least goals in the entire league, actually. Sorry, tie for second for the least amount of goals with uh, with Orlando and only Colorado did worse than them. So you have, even if we just look at this in kind of a basic way, you have a team that just is, that it's extremely difficult for them to score goals against the best defensive team in the league. And I would I would argue relative to the skill level of the entire league, I would say probably the best defense, uh, the best defense in MLS history, mm-hmm. because you have no, to kind of make fair. you have to make this relative. Like we got to look beyond goals allowed and shit like that. 
Think about how many, how good this defense is, how few goals we allowed relative to how strong the attack is in this league. And we bossed it. So yeah. if we're, I, under, I know that Columbus is tricky. No, I will never dispute that 100%. But this is a team that just can't fucking score. Now, they scored a couple on us earlier you know, before, but th- as I mentioned in previous podcasts, look, they did that against a team that started the game um, with five in the back with fucking Colin as a right center back who got yeah. abused for 45 minutes. Once the change was made, and for the second half, yeah, I, that yeah. they 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 did nothing in that second half. There may have been one, maybe two chances that were like okay, but once they made that change, once they made that adjustment, Columbus had nothing, absolutely yeah. nothing. So I feel very confident, and 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 maybe confident to a fault. Maybe I'm overconfident, but seeing how that second half played out. Seeing how Chris has evolved since then, because look, we're talking 13 games ago with that Columbus game. I think it's a safe thing to say that th- even under even under Chris, this is kind of a different team right now than it was when he first the first couple of games that he took over. Like he has kind of evolved a little bit and kind of settled in to his to his role of leading the team, right? Yeah. So I, I mean, feel like if you kind of just throw all these things together. Yeah, it's going to be tricky, but it may not be as as tricky as I think some of the fans fear it's going to be. I, I think maybe I think some people are a bit, you know, I think they're a bit nervous because they know what this what Columbus are capable of if they come out and play and execute a, a good game plan against this. Right. But, you know, I think, you know, to your point, it, it, both times when we played Columbus this year, We've always adjusted well at the half, where we've always come out in the second half looking like a much improved team and definitely one that can take away a result. You know, I think uh, we've shown a capability that we at least know how to kind of counteract um, Burhalter's game plan of beating us, which is to basically let FIPA come deep and facilitate the switching of uh, the field of play to their fullbacks who push really, really high up. And... I think that's going to be the key, I think, to shut down um, Columbus is, you know, having proving that we have the ability to do that for maybe a full 90, which I think we can because we've definitely faced a lot sterner opposition in that time since we faced Columbus at home, where we also just kind of shot ourselves in the foot. Maybe have like uh, some of those uh, personnel decisions. Uh, that's going to be the key for me when we go and face, uh, if we happen to face Columbus in the playoffs, you know, it's going to, I think. This was on Metro Fan TV uh, when we uh, were eating at the uh, fucking Burger King in Ohio after getting out of map free. But, you know, I think it's true. This was a preview of the conference semifinal. And the key is going to be able to, A, um, disrupt the service, um, the supply chain to Gassy Zardas because he's not going to do anything outside the 18. Uh, he offers absolutely nothing outside of putting the ball in the back of the net. Um, it's going to be um, shadowing Pipa Higuain wherever he may be in the field and preventing him from turning and playing those uh, switches to uh, their fullbacks, which I believe are Harrison Awful and Valenzuela, who's been a pretty good player for them this season. And if we can manage to do that, well, I think, you know, I mean, 
Their center backs aren't particularly comfortable with playing the ball out the back. They're definitely very good, like traditional defenders. They kind of have two Tim Parkers and Josh Williams and Lala Sabubakar, who, you know, I mean, again, like they're very defensively solid players, but they don't really offer much of a semblance of uh, anything in terms of passing the ball, which is why Will Trap has to drop deep so much to help them facilitate their play. You know, I think yeah. if we execute that against this team, you know, like push, pin their fullbacks back and prevent Higuain from getting on the ball, like deeper in the field uh, next to Trap, like that's going to be set, I think, for us. You know, I'd feel, definitely would feel a bit more confident if we can go out and do that. And, you know, I absolutely think that we'd be able to get a uh, win at home at the very least. You know, because this team has show, exhibited a um, capacity of learning from past mistakes and applying these lessons in games. Yeah, I mean, I I don't really, I'm not really uh, afraid much of Columbus because I don't even think they'll advance. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't really think they're going to beat DC with DC at home. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm more concerned. Uh, I, I, I'm not... Yeah, for me, I, I don't really think it's going to be that we're going to face Columbus, to be honest. But I mean, I think I think we saw like something of what we could see against Columbus in the second half of uh, the Orlando game, basically when Orlando's trying to switch the field on us. Um, you know, I think we handled it pretty pretty well. Um, but you know, the thing about Columbus is they can change the way that they play too. You know, they can they can go up the yeah. gut as well. Um, yeah. They were kind of attacking us with uh, Mullins at the home when, when we play them at home. So you know they can they can go back and forth, but I think I think we're pretty solid. We're solid enough. I don't think there's going to be any more you know call in appearances necessarily. Yeah. So yeah. and that, I think and I think that's, that's a big right. thing too. Is is you know Colin unfortunately costs us you know quite a bit from just being on the field. Um, yeah. You know, we talk so much about Sasha kind of just being that guy that doesn't fit. I mean, fuck if if he's he's basically the center back the center back version of Sasha, where two seasons ago, three seasons ago, I mean, we couldn't play without him. Twenty sixteen, he he yeah. saved whatever was left with our season. Last year, right. Sasha was a liability. This year, forget about it. He, I, I can't, I can't even imagine how much worse we would have been. And Collins, kind of the same. You know, he's a liability, and I think he was a massive liability especially against a team that does that where their their whole thing was switching the field uh as quickly as possible kind of you know spread us open and 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 you know kind of catch us and if you if you try to do that same thing against a fidel back, a, a back line with with uh uh with long parker and fidel or something like that i mean it's going to be fundamentally different you know, Fidel's not going to get burned. No one in the back line other really than Colin is going to get burned the way he was getting burned. Yeah. I mean, two of those goals, if I recall, came directly from him getting just crushed on that side. That's not something we would have to worry about. So I, I don't I don't think we would start the game again with five in the back. I would hope not. But even if the game called for us to switch back to that formation, I would still feel better because I think. Chris has shown he has a better grasp and better understanding of that formation where it's not always kind of a panic thing. Like there's a logic and reason to why he's doing that and how they play is yeah. different, but also the, 
players they're good, the, the players he would have in that position would almost certainly not involve Colin, and that by default gives us a much better chance. Yeah, I think I think I think what I would say about three in the back is that the the, the number of times that we've uh, applied it under Armis have yielded results more often than not. You know, I think we went to five we went to five in the back against Chicago to kind of lock down the result and. Uh, Chicago just cut, were kind of neutralized after that, you know. I know they guys really getting in behind our defenders as much as they were before we switched formation. And I think, as Alex pointed out, it happened against Orlando as well when we put on Fidel. Like, um, five in the back has proven to be quite an effective strategy at addressing what is perhaps our biggest weakness after we go up a goal. So, you know, I think I'm kind of with you guys in that boat like uh it's kind of a pretty good wrinkle to throw in i think when we need to lock down a result and they're finding space against the press uh as the game goes on you know i think every time we've like again we've thrown it out under armis it's worked and you know i think i think it's it's good that we have a multiple identities that we can take on. So um, I guess uh, moving on to our p- other potential playoff opponent in DC, uh, the book on them, the narrative that's been written is that you know I think Wayne Rooney I think is against all expectations that some of us may have had when he was first announced as uh, signing with DC as a designated player. I mean. Uh, the narrative being that he's kind of elevated this team back to uh, its so-called um, glory days, I think. Mostly not just in the fact that he's contributing goals, but also because he's bringing the best out of uh, their some of their other players, such as Acosta, who's had an absolutely... Um, he's been on fire this entire second half of the season. Uh, but I think... The notable thing about DC for me is that, you know, I think that back line can still be kind of suspect. There's still not a lot of quality in that defense. Um, I mean, it's a revolving door next to burn bomb at this point. And it's kind of being concealed by the fact that they have two pretty decent holding midfielders in Canusi and Moreno, who will just make solid options on the ball, like more often than not, but not really do anything too flashy. And I don't know, like, when it comes to offensive potency, I mean, they don't really have much to offer going forward outside of uh, Rooney and Acosta, if you ask me. Like, Ariola can be kind of hit or miss, and he's going to be able... He's only he's only mostly going to be a threat on the break, in my opinion, just simply because of how fast he is. But I don't know who's, who's the other guy they have in that left wing. I think it's Sultan Stabler, who's kind of just been kind of whatever, you know? I I think the key to beating DC for me is to, I mean, it's going to be containment uh, of Rooney and Acosta to a degree. And I think the key thing for me, when we drew them 3-3, um, when we drew them 3-3, I think uh, in, when was it? Uh, early September, I think, was it? I think it was early September, yeah. Yeah. Um, I th- hope one of those goals, like the third goal that DC scored in that fixture, I mean, it was just a defensive breakdown, you know, and these are the kind of things that we talk about when it comes to asterisks being attached to results, right? Um, 
I'm not sure if they'll be able to play as well as they did against us that day because um, that's going to be the wild card for me. I think it's really going to be kind of how well they come out in the day itself as opposed to anything uh, big, especially because in the playoffs, you're going to have very small sample sizes. So if you have one off day from Acosta and Rooney that results in your whole offense shutting down and we manage to bag an away goal at Audi Field, well, then we come back to Red Bull Arena where they haven't beaten this all season. you know. And I think that does fill me with a bit of confidence. I think DC will be a sterner test than Columbus for sure, but there's enough quality in this squad that I think we'd be able to you know, bag something and advance. Yeah, and I think I, that 3-3 that three, three game, I think, was one of those, was before we had this big wheel yeah. breakout. In a, in a definitive way where he just really forced himself into the starting lineup. I know he came on as a sub that game. But, you know, we were playing at that game still yeah. Shikoski on the wing. And I think we're a fundamentally different team now with Wheel yeah. on the ring, on the wing. And, you know, we'll have Royer back now. Royer looked great against Orlando. So I think, I think this team will set up differently than we did that time. I think there'll be a little bit more, you know, penetration from the wings we had before and i think that'll force um you know dc's defenders to to cycle a little bit differently than they were that game um and open up open up a few more opportunities so yeah i i mean i think dc i think dc's strength is kind of the opposite of or of uh columbus where their strength is just really through the middle of the field you know they're gonna through acosta canoes and and canals and rooney so, yeah, I mean, it'll be a different test, but I think our our midfield matches up well against against their crea- chance creators, and uh, I think with Mwil on the field from the start, yeah, it'll be a little bit different. Yeah, I'm uh, I would say they probably give me the most concern, um, yeah. out of out of any potential yeah. team, just because I feel like they're the most competent team is probably the word I would use. Like, they're just kind of a solid team. I'm not sure they have as many glaring holes um, as some of the other, as some of the other teams uh, kind of have. Um, the only thing that I guess kind of concerned me with, with the DC game kind of up until honestly, a couple minutes ago when I looked when I kind of just looked at some of the, the, you know, the, the highlights and stats, whatever from that game was I remember kind of walking away from that game being a little nervous like we kind of needed a super rare hat trick by Bradley to to get a draw and that's very very rare and you I mean you can't depend on Bradley to get as awesome as he is you can't depend on him to get a hat trick that was his first hat trick since 2016 like March or May of 2016 but yeah. I mean I'm looking at the numbers you know we had 15 shots five on target you know it, it seems like maybe I'm misremembering a little bit. Um, looking at the game flow charts, it looks like we were actually doing a lot better than I guess I kind of remembered um, at the time. So I I don't know. I I, I think for me, what gives me so much confidence besides how good our defense is, is I feel like every blip that we've seen since Chris has taken over, you can point to a moment of improvement. Right, yeah. like you take that right. that that three not that three that three nothing loss against Montreal, and 
right off the bat, you have to kind of just, yeah, because it was game, you know, it was a fifth game in 15 days and the guys were fucking exhausted. But like, we saw the biggest hole there was not having Adams and, and having, uh, having Davis and Rizzo playing next to each other as a defensive, defensive mid pairing, uh, mid pairing just fundamentally didn't work at all. That was, that was so bad. But we saw two games after that um, against Atlanta and who was the other team? Uh, where was Davis and Rizzo again? It was Atlanta. Uh, that was against. Um, oh, jeez. Uh, That's yeah, right. Toronto. Uh, Toronto. Toronto. So, like, you saw how well we played with those guys. Like, they, like, together played significantly better than they together than they did against Montreal. So, like, you, I feel like, oh, no. regardless of what the situations have been, again, I feel like you can point to a game later on where you saw real, tangible improvements. You know, right. we had this weird thing in those two games where, you know, we were kind of giving up these fucking horrible, stupid set piece goals. And it kind of became this thing where everyone was like, OK, is this going to become a new thing now? It never happened again. I, I actually don't think we've given up a goal off a headed uh, uh, off, a, off a corner kick or a set piece off a header since then. I could be wrong, but either way, like that concern has kind of drifted away. So. I feel good going to this game because even though it was a 3-3 draw, we still gave up three goals, which is not like us. I feel comfortable because I, don't, I just don't see DC being able to do again what they did because I feel like this team is just better prepared now. I feel like they're actually yeah. learning things. And, and I think part of that is kind of just the difference between Jesse and Chris. With, with Jesse, I feel like there was so much of it just wasn't our day. It just yeah. wasn't our day. You know, we did everything we had to do, but it just wasn't, you know, it, it was, we were unlucky as opposed to yeah. where I feel like Chris maybe kind of just takes a step back and says, wait, no, we did do something wrong here and let's fix this. And you see them fix that later on. Right. That to me Absolutely. is the, I, I'm willing to say that is the number one reason why I feel so confident going into the playoffs. And it's Chris Armas because his game day management, I feel after a sample size now of more than half the season shows that his game day management is good and his game day preparation. Because again, and I, I will I will repeat this from now until fucking the end of the year. He has proven that he is able to fix mistakes that they make. And I don't feel yeah. like I ever saw that with Jesse. And, you know. Yeah, Jesse was too stubborn almost to admit that <laughs> that he set up the team wrong to begin with. And I, I want to go back because I, 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 I misremembered. It was right. San Jose oh, that we right, also right. played without Adams. And I think both of those games we played yeah. with Mawil on the wing. And, you know, I think that was the difference, you know, that he, he relieves so much pressure from the midfield with his pressing and with his ability to get to the end line and the sideline that, um, you know, I think, I think that really helps – the team out and you know kaku and both of those games yeah. were also pressing really you, well so you know i think in context think of the playoffs uh, when right. in the regular season uh going to the home of the hottest one of the hottest teams in mls and getting a 3-3 draw in the playoffs like that's a pretty good result in my opinion I'd that's three of wiggles right there dude i'll take three that wiggles. any day hell like, yeah i would take that any day yeah. of the week i mean that was like that was the height of like DC. You know, we played them when they were the most like MLS yeah. meme team. 
you know, that was like the height of that. And we came in there and we still backed yeah. three goals at Audi Field. So, yeah, I, I, I mean. I think I'm with you guys in that exactly. one. You know, we'll, we'll definitely get ours uh, throughout um, the um, throughout this fixture in particular because their back line is still going to probably ship up a number of really quality opportunities for us, you know, and it's going to be a question of how well our defense manages to keep their attack off the board because, you know, I think I'll, I'll say it, you know, it's like our defense is better than their defense um, by quite a margin, I think. And it's going to be a question of how well our attack takes our chances against DC and how well our defense keeps them off the board. I think that's just basically going to be the, uh, the board, basically. Those are going to be the two critical areas that we need to focus on. Yeah. I mean, if, um, if, I think if you look at the, the two, if you were to, if I were to pick the two most dangerous uh, attacking teams, it's going to be Atlanta and, and DC. Both of those teams are, are definitely going to put some pressure um, on our defense and especially the back line. And I, I, yeah. I'm, on a, I'm honestly more worried about DC's attack than I am about Atlanta's because I feel like Atlanta's been, and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about Atlanta in a couple minutes, um, but Atlanta seems very stubborn in how they play. And because of that, the amount of chances they would create would just be a lot less than I think DC. So even though Atlanta's attack is probably better, I think in the context of how each team plays against each other, DC is going to see more opportunities and they're, they're a good attack there. I, I can't, I mean, I can't take anything away from them. You know, they, they were, they won, they won five of their last six games, seven of their last, uh, was it one, two, three, four, five. They won six of their last like eight or nine games. I mean, they're, they're a good team. They're a strong team. And, and, you know, our, our, our back line is going to be tested. And if they're as good as we feel they are, and as they're as good as he proved that they are this whole season, I think we'll be good. It's going to be really, can we uh, be on our game on the attack side and, and, and get our, you know, get our stuff and get our goals. Yeah. yeah this is yeah, going to be a fun it's one. It's going to be fun. And, you know, like, like, I, I like a to go into the playoffs DC with this game for the first time and how fucking yeah. long. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? It's yeah. Great. 20, I know. The, not one that I want. Yeah. 20, not one that I makes me want to kill myself. Garbage. That was such <laughs> a Benny Bowl, rest in peace, fucking just ugly, disgusting game of fucking filth. Whatever yeah. Whatever it is you even want to call uh, it. I mean, I think it's great that they've kind of moved away from Benny Bowl because, you know, I think we also play well against teams that come out and try and play expressively because they play right into our biggest strength in a way. You know, that buzzsaw in midfield. Um, so, you know, I think. I, I think it'd be a fun one. Uh, I think the difference between this DC team and Atlanta as well is that, you know, I mean, Atlanta, a team full of mercs, like Martino is a mercenary king <laughs> and um, they always seem to tire down the stretch. Uh, I think it's notable that you're seeing that again this year with uh, Joseph Martinez, you know, prior to that um, penalty against Toronto, shock horror, he got another penalty. <laughs> he hadn't scored in four games. He hadn't scored in four games. Like he tired down the stretch yeah. last season as well. And now I think you're starting to see it again. Almiron picked up another niggling injury down the stretch and he's missed time as a result of that. Yeah. You know, I think the key that we've been talking about with Tata Martino is that he doesn't understand what squad rotation is. You can give Armas a lot of shit. You can give Jesse a lot of shit for not really understanding, maybe having a good grasp of a squad rotation either, but they at least make an effort to do it. 
Martino just plays his first 11 Dude. no matter what the circumstances and they just get run into the fucking ground. Dude, and now with the Martinez has added factor 2900 minutes this season. Yeah, I mean that's ridiculous. Holy that's crazy. <laughs> like <laughs> like I don't not even our goalkeeper has that number of no, minutes. We, you know what I mean? You don't have anyone like I don't even know who's our I don't even know who has the most minutes in our yeah. team. I saw it before. I think, yeah, I uh, think uh, who was, we were talking about. Oh, right? that's right. That's right. It's Long. Long has the most minutes at 2,800. But you know what, though? That's that's yeah, only Long in 31 games. Thirty. He start, I think he started 31 games. We played 33 or something like that. Joseph Martinez has played 34 games. And according to this, he started 34 games. Yeah, I mean, that's ridiculous if you ask me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. Like, Tata, like uh, – I don't understand like the whole fucking like hoo ha about Tata Martino being one of the best ever grace this league. Like, you know, I don't think we need to receive like outside validation from other people saying that we can attract people like Tata Martino because Martino's a fucking fraud. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, fuck him. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. T- talk. Yeah. I mean, talk what does he ever want? I'm looking at Joseph's uh, uh, stuff. He scored a goal in at the end of August. He, then he didn't score for two games. He got a brace. Then he didn't score for f- four games after that, and then got that bullshit penalty. So he hasn't yeah. he hasn't got a run a goal for run of play since the middle of September, and before that, the end of of August. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing for me is that like that's you crazy. know like I actually wouldn't be surprised if they somehow stumble to a first round loss again, and they don't, and they still haven't. And they still don't claim a playoff win. Like, I can totally see that happening. I can totally see them being a non-factor in this playoffs, just simply because, you know, they should, they showed this last year as well. They tire down the stretch. They don't do well against um, the best team, the other best teams in MLS when teams aren't playing scared against them. And on top of that, like, you know, there's the added factor of how well this squad full of mercs are going to be motivated now that the Mercenary King's going to go to Mexico at the end of the season. Yeah. They're like, fucking checked out, man. Yeah. Like. I mean, yeah, you listen to the quotes that they had at the end of the Toronto game when they lost, when we won the Shield. And, uh, you know, it, it, it sounds like Tatar whoa, Martin whoa, whoa. is already on the plane. This is actually important out. breaking news. Um, Rebel2 just, just posted on Twitter. Uh, due to lack of venue availability in Orange County, should Orange County SC advance out of the Western Conference and we beat uh, Louisville, we would host the fucking uh, we would host the U.S. Open Cup final at Rebel Arena. Oh, nice! That's fucking awesome. Nice. That's gonna Amazing. be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Aren't aren't Orange County are the top? Yeah. Seed there? Um, shout out to KSK Honda, like uh, <laughs> majority owner of Orange County FC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I- He's gonna do he's it, gonna for, do us. it yeah, for us, sure. and then he's gonna sign a DP contract with us in the offseason. <laughs> okay, I'll shut up. <laughs> I want to circle back, and then we're gonna keep him on the bench, quick, though, about them being tired and being run to the ground. I'm I'm curious to see how playing in Yankee Stadium could potentially help them because it's less running. Yeah, I, I saw... no, I think that's when we talk about. I don't. I don't know. I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit iffy about that because if they get Almiron back what I think he does well is just basically run at a defense and force one of the center backs to to basically step and that 
Joseph is good at just hitting that gap. And Almiron will play the pass fast, which is the difference between him and like a Barco. So I think if if that happens, then I I think the field yeah, is actually just yeah. too small yeah. to do that <laughs> in the same way. I mean, I, I, I never watch the games over at Yankee Stadium if I can help it. So I don't think I saw the game when Atlanta played there. But I'd be willing to bet, you know, they didn't exactly score the goals like they usually try to do like that. And I think that's a good seeg into a city particularly because, uh, you know, what we kind of had pinned as a flagging team showing some signs of life. But, I mean, it was against... Philadelphia, so grain of salt maybe. Hold on, they're gonna hold on, hold the road to MLS atrocious Cup. today. Yeah, what that was fuck? an atrocious game. Yeah, <laughs> I mean if the road if the road to MLS Cup goes through Yankee Stadium, well, I mean that's the biggest advantage that they have as an organization is that field and how terrible it is. You know, I think, but. Regardless, I think it's. I think we should be able to beat them pretty solidly at Red Bull Arena. I think, I think that should be, knock on wood and everything. But I think that should be. Um, you know, I think we we we, we It's going to be a matter of how well we play at Red Bull Arena that kind of decides a potential tie against City. Because going into Yankee Stadium, like no one can play the way they want at Yankee Stadium, because it sucks. You play one shitty long ball over the top. Someone makes a bit of a botched header, and it could be ru- and it could be cleared right into the path of one of the attackers running at you full speed uh, before you can set your feet. You know, and then people are falling all over the place. You're tripping on the pitcher's mound. You're falling down in the warning track. Like all kinds of stupid shit happens at that stadium. You know? Yeah, it's okay. basically like it's basically like you know Three Stooges or whatever when you watch games. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's just people like falling all over themselves, fluky goals. Every goal seems like it might not even be if you were watching it on a on a in a different stadium, but when you're watching it there and seeing it happen in real time, it's just every goal looks fluky. It's just pinging off of something. There's so many posts hidden hit. It's just crazy. I. I... I'm like more really curious now to look at the highlights of this uh, city versus uh, Atlanta game early in the year at Yankee Stadium. Um, and what? So it ended in a draw, one-one. City, <laughs> city had twenty-five shots, ten on goals, uh, ten on goal, um, and eighty-one percent passing, uh, passing accuracy, sixty percent possession. Atlanta had five shots. Yeah, two crazy. on target. Yikes! Sixty-six percent passing, which is interesting. Actually, the final third passing was below fifty percent. So that's interesting because I think Alex, you might be right that just the way they play, it's such a small field. It is just impossible for them to yeah. actually do the things that they need to do. Yeah, I mean, it's... was this was, this was earlier in the year when Vieira was still around? Mm. I imagine. Uh, yeah. No. yeah, I mean, they're. I'm looking at the lineup, and it was. Basically, I mean, yeah, Vio, uh, that douchebag Brigette, um, Tajori, Sweat, Fori, Morales, Tinnerholm, Callens, uh, Ring, some other guy I can't pronounce his name. I mean, that's 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 their full lineup: Martinez, Barco, Almiron, um, Lorenowitz, Nagby, Gressel, Escobar, Parkhurst. I mean, they both teams had basically their. You know, as close to a best eleven as as I think they could have had at the time, and 
City just fucking owned them. Holy shit. I mean, like, it's it's stupid in itself to be trying to play a final third possession game on a field the size of a postage stamp with various <laughs> environmental hazards on it. Okay? And if Martino wants to come out and do the same thing against City, well, he's a dumbass, quite frankly. <laughs> and you can have fun with that, Mexico. Like, seriously, like, can't wait until, like, they venerate, like, Martino the same way they venerated Juan Carlos Osorio after one win against Germany. Like, that's basically what it's going to be, man. Like, <laughs> He should go back to his old, you know, to his roots, his Paraguay teams, basically. Yeah. Just long ball. Long ball, bunker. Shit, shit clogging. Yeah. This, wow just, this is hilarious man uh, i mean i gotta watch this game later i'm sorry my, i gotta watch the highlights i'm just no. looking at some of the stats online and that's fucking incredible wow damn it. that's gonna be a funny series City might knock them out man holy shit look it, it because i mean it kind of goes back to this weird you know kind of discussion of like this about like what's really a home field advantage given the weird context of of like this league right most places it kind of doesn't matter a home and away leg but in MLS, it really does because, I mean, look, for the most part, you're better at home and you kind of suck away. You're okay away. There is a clear significant home field advantage. And if you're playing home at first, if you just get a decent result, if you win, even just one nothing, 2 nothing, or something, you're going to a supposedly, you know, less advantage, uh, advantageous uh, game with an advantage because you're up and all you got to do is just fucking park the bus. So if City goes, if City, if they play and City wins this game, they're going to go to Atlanta and they're going to park the bus and they're going to knock Atlanta out. Yeah. I mean, they tied even at home when Atlanta was at home too, you know, and Atlanta is not necessarily the best home team. Oh yeah. They're really good away. They're really good. They're the best team in the league away. They played April 15th and it was a draw too, too. Yeah. And you know, if, if, if the home field advantage is so like Nick or is so great by playing at Yankee stadium for NYC, you know, that could really throw a wrench into things. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I guess that kind of puts a tie in the, uh, Eastern conference, uh, playoff scene for us. Cause I do want to move on to the questions right about now. Cause we are running up in 90 minutes once again. Always, always marathon episodes in this podcast. Am I right? Like, I don't think we've had a podcast that's been below an hour, and I don't think the streak's gonna snap uh, this week. No. But uh, yeah, I think that does it for the Eastern Conference for us. Because I mean, who gives a shit about the West, honestly? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like I posted on 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 Twitter a little while ago. You know, this team that everyone is picking to come out of the West, Seattle. Hasn't didn't play a West an Eastern Conference. Only played two Eastern Conference teams in this whole streak, yeah. and one of them was a ten man Philly that they lost to at home, and the other one was Orlando. Man, if you're losing a ten men Philadelphia at home in at Seattle, home. like get your head checked, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, Jesus. MLS Christ. Digital and and MLS commentators are watching too much Western Conference. Their brains have been. You They've know. been warped, yeah. I mean, that's how you think Chad Marshall warped. is a worthy defender of the year winner. Exactly. Like, exactly. The fuck has he done? Like, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway uh, <laughs> yeah, we don't acknowledge MLS Digital on this podcast, so um, I'm sorry, sir, but we have to disinvite you now. Uh, <laughs> oh shit! All right, see you guys. Yeah. <laughs>
so I guess um, Berner Veliz on Red Bull Discussion Group, uh, I hope this answered some of your questions um, about the upcoming challenges that we'll have to face during this year's playoffs. Uh, so uh, thanks for that question, Berner. Uh, I hope you I hope you found our insight good. So moving on to some of the uh, other Twitter questions. We have four today. Uh, so I guess we'll start with a question from Juan Carlos Aponte asking, why did you fire Petke so that we could win the shield? Uh, that's my that's my answer. I don't know. Like, <laughs> like I mean, yeah, guys. I mean, to get to get to to reach full the final form of energy drink. Yeah, I mean, like guys. I mean, like I love the guy. He's a legend, sure, but there's gonna be no way that Mike would have been able to implement the system if he had been head coach. You know, and, and I think that's just factual. And you look at how RSL just kind of squeaked into the playoffs this year. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I admire Mike. I love everything that he's done for this organization. But in hindsight, as badly handled as that firing was, it was the right move going forward. You know, I think. Oh, absolutely. And I just want to point out that, you know, I've seen some people kind of push back on that. Um, uh, Because the the big thing has really kind of been – Name names, Nando. <laughs> name names. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the big thing was always, you know, we that that people said he wouldn't be able to handle the the you know this big youth movement, right? And, and youth development, and people were like, oh, you don't, you know, you wouldn't know unless you tried. Okay, well, now we can say that to the minute, oddly enough, they had exactly as many uh, homegrown minutes as we did, right? Yeah, it was like eighty five hundred and fifty nine or something, something like that. Again, yeah. it goes back to this is not just about developing youth. It's not just about having a strong academy. RSL has a strong academy. Obviously, yeah. they they got good production out of them. But look at our team and look at them. And if anyone can't see the clear difference between the two, then you need to stop for a second and stop and stop defending, you know, this idea that he would be able to do what uh, do here, what what needs to be done. And kind of just ask yourself, do you even understand what's being done here? Because I'm yeah. sorry, they're they're fundamentally not the same thing. Just having a good, strong academy and developing guys is not enough. That's not what's happening. That's not only what's happening here. There are multiple layers of what's going on here. And maybe he would have been able to do one part of that, but there's no way he would have been able to tie all these things together. Uh, absolutely not. Yeah. Um, I mean, we also understand that not all homegrowns are the same. Not all academy products are the same across different academies. But, like, you know, there were academy guys in that Salt Lake team that had some buzz for them coming into the season. You know, I think uh, Justin Glad had a pretty good breakout towards the end of last year. Danilo Acosta, Sebastian Saucedo, like guys like that uh, to kind of name names, right? Um, But didn't really take a step forward this year. And when that happened, I'd say some of them took a severe step yeah. back. Yeah, I mean, Glad cratered, right, guys? I mean, like he wasn't yeah. quite the uh, linchpin that they thought he would be developing into. <clears throat> Acosta spent like a pretty good part of uh, the season in Petke's doghouse for some reason. Like, I'm not really sure if Mike would have nurtured some of our young players with this sort of uh, old school hard ass mentality. Um, if he were the head coach of our team now. Yep. 
I'm not so sure if he would have created the same environment where everyone's willing to kind of die for each other. And, you know, I think when you talk about the togetherness of the young guys on this team, I think, you know, that's significant. And look, develop, really development deny. doesn't just end once you sign that first team contract. You know, you look at us. Wally does a fucking incredible job at, at getting these guys prepared for the first team. But once you get to the first team, there's a, there's a long path that they have to go on. Their development just gets harder. You know, it's, it's stage three. And with, with RSL, it seems like, yeah, their academy side is doing what they have to do. But once they get to the first, uh, first team, they start to fall apart because the development's just not continuing. Because I'm sorry, I just don't think Patrick is capable of that kind of development. So, yeah, you're giving these guys a lot of minutes, but they're not doing great. Again, look at them and look at us. There's a difference in so many ways between between both sides. And I just don't agree at all that he would have been able to handle the requirements of development of these young guys. And it's not just developing uh, developing their, their, their play and their skills and stuff like that. It's like you said, it's nurturing them. It's, it's knowing when to push on them, when to, when to kind of fall back a little bit. And I mean, there's so many, so many different things off the field uh, uh, and even on the field outside of the actual playing ability that that's required in developing young, mostly, you know, kind of immature guys into these strong professionals leading you to record MLS seasons. Yeah, I think I, for me, I think it's just that like a lot of old heads just see themselves in Petke and how they want to see the team. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like a passion. It's all that's about passion. It's about motivating already talented players to just you know reach their potential or something like that. You know, benching uh, benching Henri or something like that. You know, that's what they think is what makes a team. And I think people just don't want to understand that this team that the way we play now is not about you know motivating our individual players in the same way that you know Petke going on a rant or you know giving people the hairdryer treatment would work you know it's about uh you know basically a more interconnected system like players depend on each other to do certain things and uh, you know a lot of the times like like this speech uh like um Armas's speech at the halftime of the Atlanta game, you know, this machine runs itself most of the time. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's, it's about the guys knowing their jobs and just doing their jobs. And I think the way Petke works, I think it's just how people expect, like if, if some college football coach became a uh, head coach in MLS, you know, <laughs> it doesn't really work that way. Yes. Um, I think to kind of add on to that, uh, you know, um, the hair dryer treatment is only going to work if you have the resume of results to back up what you're saying. And if you are a middling team in the West and you're going to throw the toys out the pram every time your team doesn't really perform up to snuff, I mean, there's only going to be so much that you can like yell at the players for before you have to start looking at yourself and your general lack of ideas or uh, lack of tactical noose, I think. Yep. And that's kind of been the thing that's followed Mike around his career is that like we never really knew if he had that much of a good grasp of tactics, even while he was here. You know, the, I remember during the Petke um, era, there was a lot of talk about how he just didn't really understand substitutions, rotations, or have anything to reinvent the team off the bench. 
And that's when we had a bit more leeway in changing up the way we wanted to play because this was prior to the implementation of Ralph Ball. You know, we were still kind of that um, sort of blank slate of a team that kind of relied on Henri posting up on people and creating moments of magic, you know? And, you know, I think it's kind of proven now in his stint at RSL that he might not have the ideas needed to be the coach of a team that has a system as complex as ours. Because, you know, I mean, you're not going to, if the system doesn't work, you don't fix it by yelling at your players. You do what Chris Armas does. You analyze the situation <clears throat> and make adjustments in, in context of what's going wrong with the team on the day itself. That's how it is. Yep. I don't know. Anyone got anything else to add? No. Can we, uh, move? Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, with Pecky, I would just, uh, I, I could see him coaching like a, a galaxy, basically. <laughs> just yelling at guy, yelling at a guy like Alessandrini or Geo constantly, but I, I, just to produce. But I don't really see him being able to. I mean, he. I think he backed into the playoffs this year, but Patkey you know. would Patkey would be a, a a solid USL coach or. And I, that's what RSL hired him. To yeah, do, yeah. So he hired yeah. them to be the Monarchs coach. But can you imagine Petke yeah. uh, fighting with Ibrahimovic? Like, that'd be pretty fun. Yes. That'd be pretty fun. <laughs> I would like to do that. I'm imagining it right now. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been amazing shit. <laughs> uh, I guess that seeks into our next question from uh, Luis Rafael. New here. Sorry if this has already been discussed, but what are the ethical, aesthetic, political, and pragmatic implications of energy drink soccer? Uh, I think damn. I think that's its own episode. Should we, we just do an own episode? For yeah, that? I was gonna yeah. say like I think that's its own episode. Um, the gist of it is is that it's gonna. That's an off season episode. Yeah, that's maybe. an off season episode. Yeah, I'm actually I'm definitely down to put to to lightly address this, but I'm definitely down to have like a, a good style segment on this uh, during the off season. Yeah, um, I think to kind of give it just though to try and uh, try and answer the question, energy drink soccer is about killing everything you love. I think it's, it's about killing possession. It's about killing MLS darlings. It's about kind of killing. Um, it's about killing everything that you need that, that, that you know about soccer. And that's why it's fucking great. Cause no one really quite has an answer to it yet. It's a very, you know, it's probably the most forward way of thinking in MLS right now. And if you would ask me to give it up to like watch some other schlop in this league, no thank you. Like I'm very, <laughs> yeah, very that. glad to be watching this right now. It's all I'm really kind of saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean to me it's just breaking down like what is the what is the goal of when you're playing in a game, you know, is to create it's to prevent goals and it's to create chances. And I think that the way that they've that way that Ralph and the way that the whole all of the global teams have kind of tried to break down the game and what the common actions are in the game to that basically those two tac those two strategic goals into different tactics like you know tiki taka and passing is is a uh, is is one way to do it and i think this is just a completely different way to do it and um yeah i, I mean personally i think it's far more exciting yeah. um yeah, I mean, I think it kind of goes back to the to the to the you know comments I brought up before um, 
for Mouth about, you know, like you said, the idea of the game. What What is, what's the point? It, the point's not to just pass the ball around 30 times leading up to hopefully getting a goal. The point is to fucking score. And the point is to, to make sure that you don't get scored on. And it makes sense to do that at the most extreme possible way. Defend as aggressively as you can and try to score aggressively as you can, as frequently as you can. Yeah. That is essentially energy drink soccer. I mean, that that's, it's team dick punch. It's, it's basically, fuck you. I'm not going to throw a punch. I'm just going to rip your dick out. I'm going to rip your soul. <laughs> I'm going to rip your soul. I'm going to eat it. And, and, you know, I'll be shitting your insides out by the time you realize you're dead because I happened so quickly. Yeah. That's, that's basically what it is. I mean, and, and, Look, Couldn't have said it yeah. any better. And, and that, and and look, it's aesthetically, some people love it. I, I guess I can understand why some people don't like the visual side of it because sometimes it can be a little, you know, a, a, a little sloppy. And and I, I get that. But what's more beautiful than 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 a goal, right? What's more beautiful than than seeing than seeing a team just be aggressive and and within a matter of of seconds creating a chance and just rinse and repeat multiple times throughout a game. What this is, this is how you attract casuals. This is how you attract people who think soccer is boring because soccer can be boring. I am fucking bored out of my, I want to eat myself when I'm sitting there watching some boring fucking game where in a, in a span of like seven minutes, there's not even a shot because they're just, passing and passing and back passing and then the keeper just fucking you know picks it up and throws it to the side and there's more passing more back passing you know, and then there's fernando. one quick little lob like it's just ugh. you know fernando you can just name spain you know that right yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and i think to me it's too it's it's about it's about uh it's 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 almost conservative in a way like if you think about it because it the entire point is that you're not relying on individual moments or players with this certain type of brilliance. It's about producing just many medium percentage chances to score yeah. a goal. It's about and and it's about effectively preventing uh, uh, plays against you by pressing in a in the other yeah. team's half. Um, so it, it's it's basically politically for me. I think it's about it's it's about reducing the the need to basically um, corral like enigmatic players like create number tens or things like that you know it's about relying less on individual moments or individual brilliance um, and it's more about how do we get all ten players on the field to produce the most amount of chances possible yeah no it's it's definitely more of a systemic thing but we can all agree that it's unethical because it results in murder when it's executed well it's yeah i know the the, if you look at at the youth like if you look at the scores of some of the youth games that is unethical yeah (laughs) I, i I, I, if, I just want to know how many kids have quit the sport. How many careers have been? I was just gonna like, say, like, I, I want to. How many? How many kids have like just run home, fucking bawling? Like, I mean, just like 
down to the core traumatic shit where they never want to play soccer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that, like that's the thing for me is that, like you know our academy teams is where dreams for other teams go to die. And that's fucking awesome in a way. <laughs> I, I would pay. I would actually pay money, like not to see our under twenty threes or our our Red Bull two or even the first team. I pay money to see the under fourteens. Just, just, just kill <laughs> the dreams of other kids. Like that. That's kind of savage in a way, you know. I, I, <laughs> it's it's shock and awe. I've I've, you know, a friend of mine has. I have I know some people who who have been involved in uh you have kids who have had who've been in, in um who have faced who've been ac- accomplices or witnesses to these murders yeah they're they've been on a receiving end of of uh of this abuse of this child abuse <laughs> um, and and he basically said it's like shock and awe like the look on some of the parents' faces were like what the fuck is happening like they they felt it was unfair because of how good. Our acad, how good our young guys are that they would step on a field and they just felt that they were, I mean, leagues like levels ahead of them. And and these were teams that are regarded pretty highly in like New Jersey youth soccer. And they will go against these these rebel you. I'm not going to mention you know age groups, but they will go against these younger sides. And 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 the, the descriptions he would give me of of like how the, the the parents reacted and how the kids reacted was just shock and awe and just pure horror. Like, real, <laughs> like I mean, I actually, awesome. I actually felt bad with the way he described it because like kids came out at the end of the game and like some were like they would kids would cry sometimes at the end of the games because they just felt so demoralized. Like their their existence was was just removed. At like thirteen years old, <laughs> so, that's the attitude yeah, you gotta have. Exactly. But but look, but 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 listen. This is why this kind of shit is important, though, because that that twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen year old, in a couple of years, is going to be playing with Red Bull too, and eventually with the senior team. And all they're going to know is how to rip souls out, eat it, and shit it out. That's all they're going to know. All they're going to know is abuse. And that is how you change the mentality <laughs> of the fucking team. That's how you get players to to because we've heard comments before with some players. With you hear them indirectly saying that so metro without saying that so metro. That's how you eliminate that shit from some of the older guys, and 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 that's how you get rid of it from from within a team. Is you pull these guys in who are fucking ruthless. They have no sense of morale or respect for your existence the moment that fucking whistle blows that to me is energy is, is energy drink uh, energy drinks god there. damn like our, our team's full of psycho killers i guess you know like <laughs> <laughs> i mean look yeah, at no, Will. Will's definitely a psycho killer Derek, he kicked guzan in the <laughs> face <laughs> and, and you know what the, mo- the craziest part is like as this project continues and, and evolves and and that everyone learns from it, right? So you see a guy like Muil, you see a guy like Etienne, you see a guy like Adams, you see a guy like Davis. You see how these players you've created, right? And you see their flaws. You see some of their highlights. You're now able to take that down to your U, you know, your your U10s, 12s, 13s, whatever. And now you know what to start working on at a much earlier age. Because remember, you know, some of these guys like Muil and Davis, they weren't 
when they were in the academy, they weren't learning how to drink soccer for the most part. Adams kind of was, but most of most of our academy guys really weren't learning EDS in the academy. We have yet to see a crop of like four or five academy kids go into this to RB two in the first team who only know EDS. Yeah, no, I think that's notable, and that is so fucking exciting. That's why I think uh, you know I think we're gonna have Fried- Eric Friedlander come on to uh, do a. Uh off-season episode where we talk about potential academy kids and you know like some of the kids who came out of the academy who are playing in college right now i mean like they're just fucking ballers you know i mean omir for yeah omir doesn't fernandez, omir fernandez yeah. have like a yeah, dozen he's, goals? he's like he's like scoring a goal like every game i think you had some other guys like uh, o'toole and borges who might be good i mean like we can go on and on about this stuff but uh, we only have so much uh, time in this episode now uh, to uh, talk about this, unfortunately. Um, but I will say this to kind of put a bow in this question. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we we breed murderers. And, uh, you know, if, you, if you're not okay with your child becoming a killer, like, don't send your kids to Ripple Academy. Send them to, send city. Them to city where they can learn how they'll, to be a fucking... They'll, you know, they'll be murderers, but just in a cozy up way. to fascists. And be a Nazi yeah. and love cops. Like, fuck out of here, man. Uh, so we're going to be, be moving on to the uh, messy segment, the messy part of the uh, question segment today, because sending in a question today is none other than Derek Schultz asking, now that we've won the shield, can Alex... <laughs> now that we've won the shield, can Alex be a little less mad online? Can you, Alex? Explain. <laughs> I've never been mad online. That's the thing. <laughs> I've never been. I, I don't know where this, you know, I don't know where this uh, connotation yeah, you, comes you guys, from. Where this at. I feel like yeah, it's I, just a character, right? <laughs> it's just a gimmick. <laughs> I, I don't even, I mean, I don't even know if I put that character on. <laughs> To be honest, you know, I've never been mad, never been nude, never been read <laughs> online. I know who has been mad online, though. Paul Tenorio. Like, what a meltdown. Uh, Can you imagine being oof. so, like, petty about the fact that we hopped up in his mentions about us not winning the Shield, that he picked Atlanta to win the whole thing? <laughs> like, my God, dude. Like, you, you, I thought being one of the, like, so-called eminent writers in the American soccer sphere would be enough, but I guess, like, you just get baited too easily, my friend. Jesus. Yeah, he's... I don't know. This he's just... He, it's Franco. Just Franco with a different name. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't pay for my... For my news sources, I just I just follow Eric Friedlander on Twitter, so I don't really know who he is. <laughs> yeah, um, we're sorry for acknowledging the American soccer media sphere again. I guess I have to disinvite myself from my own podcast now. Yeah, it'll just be Fernando talking. Yeah, you, you got you got to solo this, Fernando. I'm sorry. Uh, I hope you That's can fine. do it, buddy. I, I have enough rage. <laughs> I have enough rage to just fucking curse the entire world out. <laughs> So I guess uh, Tupac from uh, our friends, View from 202, um, asking two questions for Alex tonight. So first of all, Alex, they want to know what your thoughts on on BOFA are. I I would need that explained. (laughs) Could you explain it to me? What is BOFA? Let me Google that right now, actually. (laughs) He's nuts. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Uh, can you, uh, um, What's the next question? <laughs> so it's going to be a bit of a throwback because it's uh, going to be a article related to uh, the infamous Mario League soccer article that was put out into four two 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 earlier this year. So, oh, that that incredible piece yeah, of semiotics. Uh, uh, truly semiotic. the. Uh, Truly one of the most preeminent um, works on energy drink soccer thought, I think, uh, that we as uh, Mediaspheres mm-hmm. produced. Uh, what are the semantic implications of Waluigi existing in the playoffs, but not Luigi? So to recap, to recap <sighs> first for some of those who might not be uh, familiar, Waluigi, of course, refers to LAFC, while Luigi referring to LA Galaxy. So uh, without further ado, let's hear from the uh, author. We're going to have a book chat now, I guess, two hours into the episode. Take us away, Alex. <laughs> I mean, I think for me, it's kind of the floating signifier. You know, if, you, if you've if you read your Claude Lévi-Strauss, <laughs> you know, it's it's this it's this signifier that, that, that has no actual object or no agreed upon meaning anymore. So it's kind of like with with LAFC existing in the playoffs without LA, it's just kind of this um, signifier that can meet, that can be interpreted in different ways. It has no symbolic value. It has a zero symbolic value, and it's basically only a signifier. So, you know, there's nothing that it's actually, that nothing that this, this object has any relation to in terms of its, in terms of, like the object itself has no relation to its meaning. It's more just a, a something that that an ex- exists that can be projected upon, like kind of like an ink blot. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's like it's basically MLS postmodernism for you, and that's why I think basically uh, all those uh, LAFC fans look like NPCs from uh, from a video game. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, like, I think that's, uh, yeah, there you go. It's probably the most uh, intellectual we've ever gotten on the Metro Fan TV weekly rundown. <laughs> Coincidentally, it's the same week that we got the guy from the Ivy Leagues. Am I right? Like, nah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's a burden I must bear. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, dude, I don't think we've ever had a question on here asking us to discuss implications on as much, um, multi on as many dimensions as we have this evening um just alone i think in this episode we've had questions ask utilizing the words semantic and aesthetic which kind of tells you everything you need to know about the intellectual spin that i bring out the i bring out the the eggheads yeah no this is a thinking man's pod now you know like it is thinking man's pod we have to uphold energy drink soccer thought and this is part of it you know, this is an expanded Metro universe. fan, Metro Think TV. Metro Think TV, yes. <laughs> We're going to have our own TED Talk channel, actually. Um, where we get Metro to, TED TV? Metro TED TV, yes. <laughs> where we can discuss these things at length. We can have our own seminar, like, conference, I feel, actually. Like, that'd be a really good way to con suckers out of money. Absolutely. I mean, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just set up a soapbox by the, by the Brisa stand. <laughs> about that. Can you imagine? Like, I think that would really take Brisa's uh, 
business plan in like a new level. They have like a soapbox for political discussions. So you can have an Epinata and then discuss some Gramsci. Like, that'd be pretty dope. <laughs> Absolutely. Empanadas and Gramsci. I think like I'd sign up for that. Like, I don't know about you guys, but um, I think that just about does it for us here, clocking it in at just under two hours so far. So, oh my God. Uh, <laughs> marathon episode. <laughs> I mean, it is. We did win the. Guys, guys, hold on. We did win the Shield. Yeah. So, you know, like, I mean, I'm yeah. kind of disappointed we didn't discuss, like, um, we didn't we didn't dedicate a whole hour to winning the shield to winning shield chat so yeah. um i'm gonna wrap up the episode this way you know i think uh if there's one thing you guys could say to all the haters that have been doubting this team shitting on us saying that we weren't gonna win fucking anything this year like go on have at them what would you want to say the most pure unfiltered and un- unadulterated thought go You go, no, Nando. No, you <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I mean, I just think I, I think it was amazing just watching this team like a, a a lion just chasing just a wounded animal, and uh, I, I just couldn't wait every week. You know, potentially us just just leapfrogging all the teams in the entire league. Like it was just incredible. I mean, I just have this image in in my mind of of you know I just watched the second season of Blue Planet, just. Uh, a tiger just or a lion just stalking just some wounded antelope for days just finally overcoming it and shredding it and i think that's basically what this team did every single person who didn't believe in this team has been proven fantastically wrong and uh yeah it was just that that sunday was just such an incredible day just watching that score line go up in toronto and seeing what you know what we were doing on the field it was just amazing yeah look yeah. There, there, there's no there's no miss there should be no mystery as to why we're not getting as much press um i think it's pretty obvious that that a lot of people in the mls circle media circle uh with the exception of a few um aren't exactly big fans for whatever fucking reason for how we for how things are done here and just seeing how many people were so quick to brush off what we what this team accomplished um it's it's been incredible, and it's kind of the reason why I've, I I kind of just haven't cared about being so messy online, because all those people can eat my shit, like literally drop my <laughs> pants, bend me over, and eat the shit as it comes out of my ass. Fuck. It's always so all literal. Fucking like, people. It's always okay. kind of logical with yours, like, Fernando. Like, it's always <laughs> literal. Yes, they need to do that. Like fuck them. Sh- I will shit in a plate, and they can eat it. Like fuck these people, because like, you know what, oh, man? man. Like, look, I know it's just a sport, but like, this these are these people's lives. Like, this is their livelihoods. You know, you're 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 shitting on 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 extremely hard work that that organization does from from the the investment that they do, not just in money, but in, in the time and the heart and the passion. They're they're shitting on the fans. I mean, we 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 kind of went into that with. Uh, with uh, with uh, fucking Dweeby over there, you know, with his comment about you know the the, the supporters leaving early because you know the cup is more important, like shit like that, like just fuck off, like seriously, just just eat shit, at least have some fucking courage and stop being cowards and just fucking say what you actually think, cut the bullshit, yeah. 
and 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 just just I, I can at least respect you if you are honest with your shit opinion as opposed to this passive aggressive fucking nonsense that these people do like fuck all of them you know and and, and again i know it's just i know it's just a game but but you're 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 diminishing real people and real things that these real people have done and that's fucked up uh yeah you know i'm gonna call i'm gonna close the episode calling out andrew weavy for being a coward and ducking metro fan tv um after the orlando game like that was whack dude like for 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 everything that you've taken from this fan base ripping off our bingo cards Ripping off our memes, ripping off our bingo all card, that making it racist at that. Making a bingo card and making it racist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, dude, like you ducked the most significant channel that could have made you a star in the Red Bull Twitter sphere, just as it did Bobby Warshaw. Yeah. Now we defend Bobby Warshaw yeah. on yeah. this podcast. Even, you fucking blew it, Weeby. Yeah. yeah. Even if he That's has a kind of a bad take, I don't care. I will fucking fight arm in arm with fucking Bobby. Yeah, like, like <laughs> I am a Bobby Warshaw stan now. And, you know, like, we could have defended yeah, you. Yeah, we're all Warshaw stands. Yeah, we could have followed you to the ends of the earth, Andrew Weeby. But you decided to be a goddamn dork and just jock. Like, we didn't even roast Bobby Warshaw on Metro Fan TV. Yeah. We, we uplifted him. We, we celebrated Bobby yeah, Warshaw. Absolutely. We said that Bobby Warshaw is red. And then you came around doing this passive-aggressive shit. Posting your son in a Red Bull jersey because you thought it make it because you thought it make us like fans of you. Fuck out of here, dude! You're a goddamn coward, man. That's all it really is. Um, and then on top of that, like you know, I mean, it's 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 great. Uh, you know, you can put us as being a cup contenders or whatever. But you can see, like, oh, I'm such a big fan of Red Bull now, and then put Seattle to win the whole goddamn thing. Like, are you out of your goddamn mind? Like. <laughs> Like, this is MLS Digital. I was this is MLS Digital to a fucking T. Like you're talking out of both sides of their goddamn mouths because they want to have their cake and eat it too. But no, we have to maintain the illusion of parity in this league because I don't because like let's be real. Like we are heads and shoulders above every other fucking organization in this league, yep. including those goddamn hype beasts Atlanta United who are gonna flounder in twenty nineteen. Okay? If I, I'm gonna say it put it this way. Three shields in six years speaks for itself. Because every other team that has won the Shield in that time has crested and fallen apart in the same time that we've won three Shields in six years. Yep. Okay? There has not been a level of consistent excellence that we have shown in these six years that has been replicated anywhere else in MLS. But people are going to run it down because we didn't win MLS Cup or because we still haven't made it to a cup final in all these years. Well, when we finally do, I can definitively say this, when we have the star above our crest, you can eat shit and die because you are not welcome to celebrate with us. <laughs> eat my shit okay? first, actually. We will be celebrating with ourselves amongst people that love this club the whole way, and that is how we're going to do it. You'll be on the outside looking in. Yeah. Okay. So when we lift two banners, when we're going to be lifting two banners at Ripple Arena next year, that's how it's going to be. Yeah, no, You're going to be no on the outside ML looking in. Yeah, no MLS people allowed at Ripple Arena that day. They could just fuck. Yeah, no MLS phone. digital people allowed. Give them a fuck. It's going to be Metro Fan TV exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> just give them a fucking tablet or something. Just give them a fucking iPad and just have them stream it outside. Not even in yeah. 1080, just like some You know what? Give a fucking Nokia and just have them stream it on yeah. a three-inch fucking screen. Bitches. I mean, dude, I shoot on a Nokia. Yeah, I want to see it. On, I want to see it on a flip phone, <laughs> Nokia Core. <laughs> hey, so, I mean, like, it just kind of like wraps the whole thing up for me. Is that like, you know, like uh, you can you can diminish our achievements all you want. You can 
because I know that if Atlanta won the Shield, you'd be falling over yourselves to talk about how they're the greatest team in MLS history. But you haven't paid attention to us all season, and now you look sheepish. Well, the joke's on you, my friend. The joke is absolutely on you. Because if you've been paying, if you haven't been paying attention to this team, you're going to be like Alex said, we're the lion stalking the antelope for days, and we're going to come out of nowhere and tear your fucking throats out. And uh, and when we tear your throats out, it's going to be great because we'll be having your kidneys for lunch and your lungs for dinner, and that's to me is excellent. So yes, uh, to wrap it up in Metro Fan TV, we're going to be bathing in your blood by the, uh, in December. <laughs> yes. And it's going to be a red star over New York. Anyone else have anything to add? Yeah, we're going to rub your hearts on our fucking faces and drink your blood. (laughs) (laughs) It's not... Uh, Happy Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) It's not only our our kids who are murderers, ladies and gentlemen. I think it's us, too. Like, we've become cannibals. (laughs) We've been radicalized over the course of this episode. Um, (laughs) So, uh, I mean, I I guess we'll wrap it up on this spooky Halloween episode. It's taking a bit of a turn right at the end. Uh, Alex, thank you. (laughs) Alex, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, Thank thank you, guys. It's been fun. Definitely uh, enabled some of our uh, darker um, sides of our personalities today. Um, (laughs) Yeah, this has been wild. I've just been sitting here being like, yeah, th- this is the reward for uh, the people who have stuck out to the end of this two-hour episode. So uh, I guess if, you, if you're hearing this, uh, I hope you enjoy me and Fernando and Alex turning into psycho killers, just like our kids. Um, Hell yeah. And we'll see you for the playoffs. Yeah, and if, if, everything, we have an all-access video to watch. If so. you made it this far, tweet 69 at the, to, in the reply to the tweet for the podcast. Tweet 69 oh, yeah. at Andrew Weeby if you made it this far. <laughs> Yes. Okay. If you made it this far, you are to reply to you are to tweet sixty nine to Andrew Ruby. That's you have to. Yes. <laughs> tweet sixty nine. It's a lot. Tweet sixty nine to Andrew Ruby and seventy one to Atlanta United. <laughs> yeah. So um, <laughs> I guess without further ado, uh, we have an all access video to watch. So Metro Fan TV saying peace. Thank you once again, Alex, for coming on, and a good morning, good afternoon, and good night. From New York, New Jersey, and Singapore. Peace.